Thank you for joining us for another episode of CF on Cyber, the podcast for executives who want to cyberproof their businesses. Today, we're going to share an episode of the Florida Institute of CPAs podcast series featuring Carlton Fields cybersecurity attorney, Jack Clabby. In this episode, Jack discusses cybersecurity breaches and data loss incidents with Mia Thomas, Director of Learning for the FICPA. Hello and welcome to the Florida CPA Today podcast with Mia Thomas, former chair of the FICPA and current director of learning curriculum development for the FICPA. And now it's time to hear from your host, Mia Thomas. Thank you for joining us on today's podcast. Today we will talk about refeathering the pillow, case studies in catching, containing, and cleaning up cyber fraud. Symantec's 2019 internet security threat reported that there is an average of 4,800 websites compromised each month. Now that's each month, not quarter or year, but each month, 4,800. Craziness, right? Well, also, ransomware shifted targets from consumers to enterprises where infections rose 12% from last year. With us today, we have Jack Clabby, an attorney and shareholder at the law firm of Carlton Fields. Jack, thank you so much for being with us on our podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me today, Mia. Well, Jack, tell us a little about yourself. Well, I'm an attorney and I specialize in cybersecurity law. I also do work with corporations and individuals who are sued, uh, traditional litigation work. I grew up in New Jersey. I worked for several years at the U.S. Attorney's Office in New Jersey doing both national security work and cybersecurity work. A company would get breached or hacked and I would be there with a team of FBI agents or Homeland Security agents and we would respond to it. And uh, sometimes we were able to catch the bad guys and other times we would do the very best we could but conclude that they were located abroad and no further action could be taken. About five years ago, I moved down to Florida, left government service and started working at Carleton Fields. About half my practice now is working on cybersecurity matters, and the other half is fiduciary duty litigation and corporate governance litigation. So thanks a lot for having me here, and I'm looking forward to talking about what CPAs, both internal and external, can do to to help protect both their own firms and the companies that they're working with. Now, sometimes you use the phrase, refeathering the pillow. Sounds nice and cushy, but what does that mean? Uh, yeah, so refeathering the pillow, I, I try to create terms that are easy to remember that stand for more complicated concepts. And the idea of refeathering the pillow is it comes out of a story I heard when I was a kid about rumors, right? And you know, telling rumors and gossiping is, is like going to the top of a mountain with a down pillow and mm-hmm. ripping it open, and all the feathers will blow all over the world, right? Yeah. And once the rumor or the gossip is out there, you really can't go and pull can't the pillow. You can contain them. Yeah, right. That's right. And cybersecurity breaches are a lot like that, particularly for trusted advisors like CPAs, right? When the information gets out there, it is really hard to claw back those relationships, and it really is hard to go and gather that data again and make it as if it didn't happen. There's a lot you you can do to come back from a breach, but the best thing to do is obviously to make sure it doesn't happen in the first place. Um, And we approach this from two angles when when we talk to CPAs. We think about what they can do to protect their clients right, if they're either internal or external, but also what they can do to protect their own firms. You recently spoke at the FICPA mega conference and you talked about cyber fraud and examples of the perpetrators of cyber fraud. 
Can you share with us some examples of who these people or organizations are? And thank you for having me at the Florida Mega Conference. And it was outstanding. Several hundred CPAs networking with each other, mm-hmm. all in a great setting at the Disney Contemporary Resort. So I'll tell you, I had a great time. And I had to tell my three children who are uh, 10 and under that I was at Disney, but they weren't able to make it. Oh, um, no. Well, next year, how's that? That's right. We're gonna, maybe we'll go through the slide deck with them, I told them. So there, there really is there's, there's internal and there's external fraud. And when we talk about fraud, right, we're talking about who are the bad actors who the CPAs have to look out for, right? Let's start with external fraud because I think that's what most people are most familiar with. I mean, this is, these are the hackers that you read about on the news. It's foreign entities in Iran and China or Africa who are trying to breach U.S. companies because they either want to directly steal money from them or arrange a wire from a bank to be disrupted and sent to them as opposed to its true recipient, or they're trying to get the data that the U.S. entities have because they want to sell it either on the dark web or to a buyer that they may have already set up. And as you mentioned before, when you were working in your other role, when it's foreign, it's really hard to go after those foreigners. So let's be proactive and keep those outsiders in. So continue on. That's exactly right. And so because these threats are non-US and because there are so many of them and and the barrier to entry is so low to commit these email-based or website-based frauds, we have to put up a somewhat robust defense. Internal threats are a different story, right? Internal threats are familiar to any of the auditors who who are listening to us now, where you go out and you look for misuse of funds or you might go out and look for expense items that are off, right? Looking for cyber fraud is no different. You really have certain profiles of internal actors. We get a lot of calls from companies about disgruntled employees who may, may are suspected of or did take data. Mm-hmm. And often they're taking the data to set up their own company or to sell it to a competitor or just because they're angry and they want to do something and they don't know this may be the only thing they can do. And when that happens, you have a little bit more control, right? You can get law enforcement more involved if it's an internal actor. But the timing for this is often when promotions are announced or when compensation is announced, people who feel they didn't get compensated enough or didn't get that promotion that they wanted may look for other ways to gain value out of the company. We've had examples where, you know, working with hospital groups where individuals Got, went through a divorce, and then they use the hospital system to look up the medical records of their um, ex-husband or ex-wife. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and we've had examples where you work with a company and maybe the promotion didn't come, and you have a head of sales or a technology officer who suddenly observed on the networks of the company at 1 in the morning, 2 in the morning, taking off gigabytes, terabytes of sensitive data that they really don't need to be accessing at 1 in the morning. And so what happens then is the we'll get a call. Uh, one instance that I like to talk about because it involves an accountant was a chief technology officer who was taking data out. And actually, when it was discovered by the information technology staff, the first thing that staffer did was went and told internal audit. And internal audit then told the general counsel and the CFO, and we were brought in to help fix the situation. But it's uh, you have these internal threats that are observed by people in real time they need to know how they can report it up through the system. Many of them think of internal audit first. Well, what you just gave as an example, how did someone figure out that someone is getting that data? So I think two things have to happen right for that bad guy to get caught, right? This is the internal threat who's taking data off the system, very common in sales or retail organizations. 
The first is the weird behavior on the network has to be found. So someone's monitoring the time of day or activity. That's right. And so you should have someone in IT doing that. That's right. It's IT. But then the IT person has to feel as if they are empowered or have someone in the organization who they can go to and report this, right? Because if weird things happen and the weird stuff is, you know, it's often a high-ranked sales executive, right, who's angry about her compensation and is going and doing the bad stuff on the network. If the IT person doesn't feel as if, well, look, you know, I'm an IT person and this is someone who makes a lot of money for the company, I'm not gonna go report this to anyone because I'm gonna get in trouble. So you need to have a culture where there's a strong internal audit or a strong general counsel's office where there can be communication. Sometimes, right, it's the external auditor who maybe the person who either discovers this or it, during the course of their assurance work, someone approaches them and says, hey, I don't know who to talk about this, but I observe something weird. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing that I observed, can you help me? And of course, under the auditing standards, right, there are responses that have to happen for that. This has happened for us a few times in the college and university environment where the external auditor has caught, not because of any assurance work they did, but simply because of routine interviews they were doing. Someone mentioned to them, hey, there was this odd thing that I noticed a couple weeks ago. And at that point, it's escalated, goes up to the audit committee of the board of trustees, and there's a communication to outside counsel to get involved. So you need to have the two pieces. You need to have some observing going on on the systems, and then you need to have a reporting line set up so that the folks observing it feel that they can really be listened to and have someone who can take action on the other end of it. So would you call that a whistleblower policy or not that? Yeah, no, I, th- I think it can look like a, you know, it can look like what we're familiar with from Sarbanes-Oxley, um, mm-hmm. but it's really a cultural level. But some of it too is policies and procedures, right? If a CPA firm is writing its policies and procedures for incident response, right? A lot of times it, it'll say, and, and you know, this is a, maybe a 10-page document that says what to happen if you suspect a breach is going on. Often that first paragraph says, when IT or information security discovers a potential compromise of the system, this policy kicks in. What it should really say is when anyone, including, and then list a whole bunch of people, observe unusual activity on the system or a suspected incident, here are the steps they should take. Here's the number they should call. Here's the email they should send a message to. Because it really is the responsibility of everyone across the organization to be aware of and escalate it. Incident detection and escalation is something that many auditors are quite familiar with. Right. And so this, this concept is not one that is foreign, but it is one that I think sometimes we forget. We think my system security is just the province of information technology. That's what we pay her for. I don't have to be vigilant. But really, the incidents that I think we catch, and we catch early enough, are the ones where it was brought by someone who's not an IT or information security specialist. So we talked about detection. How can we be more proactive? You mentioned the incident response policy that can be drafted. What else would you suggest? That's right. So I think the accountant's role, the the whole firm role that the accountant has is critical here, right? Because if you think about an accountant who's internal at a retail organization, they have an opportunity to see how money's being spent across the organization. And then at the higher levels, you have the CFO, the treasurer, and the reporting lines into those two positions. They're seeing the whole firm. So when I'm designing a security program for a company, I want to make sure that I have someone on that team who has the whole firm view. If it's just sales, or if it's just collections, or even if it's just information technology, I'm missing that whole firm view. 
I want someone who's involved in budgeting, and I want someone who's involved in risk and assurance. And I think the accountant's role internal to an organization is to make sure that assets and resources are allocated correctly to the protection. It's not IT's responsibility to make sure IT has enough budget. Someone needs to be asking those questions. So two things, I think budgeting is a huge part of it, and the accountant has a critical role in that. And two, I think it's the whole firm view of the accountant to say, are we or are we not taking into account the entire risk? And the third piece is that is having training programs within the firm, and this is true for both accounting firms and larger organizations of which our accountant listeners are a part, the training programs need to not just be for information technology staff, it needs to be for anyone who has access or potential access to sensitive information on the system. You have somebody in payroll, you have somebody who's involved in the tax preparation for that organization. They should be trained on what to look for for odd system behavior and what to look for for external threats to the system. The preparation of payroll, particularly around W-2 creation and 1099 creation, is a point where a lot of foreign actors want to insert themselves into systems. We've seen a number of W-2 or payroll compromises that can be you know, significant for an organization to recover from. When you think about refeathering the pillow, right? Think about all the scattered feathers that go out when there's a W-2 compromise at a large organization. And that often that insertion point for the bad guy is in payroll. Right, and we don't want to be reading about that in the newspaper. No, no, you don't. <laughs> Especially when it makes the front page of and, things like that happening. And I think a lot of it, too, is just you know empowering individual employees to understand that if a senior executive reaches out via email and asks for sensitive information, the folks in payroll, the folks in the tax department don't have to respond to that. They're allowed to question that because the way a lot of these compromises work is the bad actor will either pretend as if they're the CEO masking an external email, or they'll actually hack the system and send a real email from the CEO's email box over to payroll, over to tax, and ask for the data to be sent sort of on a rush basis, often Friday at three or four o'clock. And the way to sort of fix that, right, is not with any particular system security. It's with going once or twice a year to the payroll people, HR or the tax group, and saying, you're allowed to question if you get something that's weird from the C-suite. You're allowed to say, I don't want to send you all these W-2s. Right. I don't know why you need to get a copy of the bank account and routing number for every person who works in the organization for the auto pay feature for our payroll. And having a culture where you can have that kind of control is, is critical. And I think the professionals who are in those organizations can self-govern. We had a, a you, know, you sometimes hear stories of CEOs who've companies are compromised because it was their email that was spoofed or faked. And I've seen that because it's easy. Look on SunBiz or look on a website. You can figure out who the top players are and you can put their name in. But the email address, if you look at the email address, it's not their real email address, but their name is in there. That's right. And, you know, the the easy way to test that is, right, have your mouse hover over the what looks to be the CEO's email address or the CFO's email address, and you'll see it's really not you know, at your company, it's at Gmail, but it's masked. In more sophisticated compromises, though, and we've seen a couple of these recently, and they can be really bad, the bad guy has gotten into the system and is really sending a real email. And so, yes, you can try to protect the bad guy from getting into that system, and and there are technical ways to do that. But the cultural way, the way that's in the control of everyone who's listening, is have a culture at your organization where professionals who touch sensitive data can question 
requests that come that, in. Yeah. that this isn't a true request. If you work at an organization where, or you observe it as an outside auditor, if the CEO walks past the employee in the hallway, is the employee told, don't make eye contact, don't say hello? You'd be surprised how many organizations have that kind of a culture. It's an inner, I'd love to find out from an external auditor if they ever ask that question. You know, had, are you allowed to make eye contact with the CEO? Because my guess is when you get an answer that's no, something that's is going on in good. that company that, that is either, either something's happened or there's a risk. Yeah, we'll put that in a survey. How's I, that? I love, I love that. You I should wonder. do that the next time you speak. I we'll love that in the survey. Well, Jack, we really appreciate you being with us today and sharing your insights on refeathering the pillow on cleaning up cyber fraud. This is definitely something that everyone should be considering for their organization if they haven't already. Jack, tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you. Well, thank you, Mia. So I have an email address, and I'll share it with you. It's jclabby, C-L-A-B-B-Y, at carltonfields.com. But because of what I've just told you about being skeptical about email, <laughs> call me. All right, my number, is, my number is 813-229-4229. Or check me out on LinkedIn. And I appreciate you telling us about this incident response policy that I don't think many CPA firms or companies have. That's definitely a must to-do list for any company to have. We appreciate you and FICPA, we do have additional resources continuing education opportunities, or to have someone like Jack come to your office and help you prevent or correct cyber fraud. You can visit us at www.ficpa.org or call our office at 850-224-2727 to get more information. Until next time, keep smiling. Continue the conversation with the Florida Institute of Certified Public Accountants. Become a member and follow us on social media for today's trends and hot topics.